Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, episode number 75, with Maurice Elias, a professor of psychology at Rutgers University, director of the Rutgers Social and Emotional Learning Lab, academic director of the Collaborative Center for Community-Based Research and Service at Rutgers, and he's one of the members of COSL, the Collaborative for Social and Emotional Learning, which our listeners will know is a trusted source for knowledge about high-quality, evidence-based social emotional learning programs. Professor Elias lectures nationally and internationally to educators and parents about students' emotional intelligence, school success, and social and emotional and character development. Among Dr. Elias's numerous books are ASCD's Promoting Social and Emotional Learning, Guidelines for Educators, the Social Decision-Making, Social Problem-Solving Curricula for Grades K-8, to Emotionally Intelligent Parenting, and many other books that I'm going to reference throughout the interview. My name is Andrea Samadhi, and I'm a former educator who created this podcast to bring the most current neuroscience research matched with social and emotional skills with interviews from experts who've risen to the top of their field with specific strategies or ideas that you can implement immediately to take your results to the next level. My vision is to bring the experts to you and then you implement these proven strategies, whether you're a teacher in the classroom or online, a student or a parent in the corporate space or working from home for immediate results. Welcome Maurice, it's so wonderful to meet you. That's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. When I was first introduced to you, Maurice, it was from Corwin Press's marketing department, and they explained to me that your work fit in directly with what we're doing on this podcast, and it absolutely does. It's just amazing. When I looked at your website and then the Rutgers Social Emotional Learning Lab, I know it looked familiar because I know I've been to your page before as I'm researching experts and I've definitely read through it and have seen your work. And then I found this YouTube of you back from 2010 and it it was you talking about emotion in education. And I could have kicked myself because I wish I knew you 10 years ago. And here's why. So 10 years ago, I worked at Pearson Education And we had this uh, credit recovery program for high school students that went into the high schools to help students with their credit. Mm -hmm. And I was always trying to infuse social emotional, thought this is the perfect platform. And it just wasn't the right time. All I needed to do was to plug in that video of you where you talked about the fact that social and emotional skills were the foundation of what learning is all about. I would have had the right person at the right time and who knows what would have happened. Maurice, as a professor of psychology at Rutgers and the director of the social emotional and character development lab that guides school-based efforts for social emotional and character development, where did this vision start for you for SEL and character in schools? Well, I'll I'll give you the short story because I started doing this work back in the mid-1970s when I was in training to be a clinical psychologist. And somewhere along the way, it occurred to me that a number of the things I was seeing in the kids with difficulty that I was dealing with were things that felt preventable. And they were lacking skills in problem solving. They were lacking 
lacking empathy, they didn't know how to get along in groups. All of the things that we now identify as SEL were things that we were trying to give kids clinically after the fact. So it became clear that a prevention focus, at least to me, was a better, uh, a better and more public health oriented solution than treating kids after they got these problems. But then at a certain point, it also became clear that when you eliminate all kids' symptoms, that doesn't mean you've given them mental health. Now, the absence of symptoms is not thriving. It's not flourishing. And that's what I wanted to make sure all kids had the opportunity to get. And so that, so that was really where the, the vision began for what eventually came to be known as social, emotional, and character development. And the, the, the character part is important because, you know, you can think of, um, think of social and emotional skills as like the propellers on a boat. They have the ability to move somebody forward, but they don't determine the direction. You need a rudder, and that's character. And so social, emotional, and character development to us became the way to think about the, the combination of not only moving kids forward, but moving them in the direction that we want them to go. And that's why I actually changed the name of my lab uh, a number of years ago from Social Emotional Learning Lab to Social Emotional and Character Development Lab. I love it. When I saw the name mixed in and right now I'm in the middle of like I, I showed you a character book because when I started working with schools in Arizona I got in with a character grant and I had to have character as a part of my program and then they started saying well let's add the social emotional skills this is like six years ago so they saw the connection and suddenly I had to find the the way that they mix together but you've described it perfectly how the character is the rudder and, and causes our direction. Right, right. And, and I, think, I think that the, the reality is that good SEL implicitly incorporates character. And good character education implicitly incorporates SEL. In fact, the character educators have now tried to make that more explicit by talking about moral and performance character. And in, in a sense, that's the difference between just knowing the right thing to do, which many people do, but also being able to do the right thing. And, you know, it, for many years, I think character educators emphasized a lot the idea that if the kids knew the good, they would do the good. But I think, you know, over time, we begin to see that that may be true for some kids, but for other kids, they may want to do the good, but they may not know how. You know, I could really want to be a responsible person, but if I just don't know how to keep track of my activities and keep a calendar and organize myself, I'm just not going to be responsible. And you may label me as irresponsible, but the real problem is I wasn't really taught the skills I need to be responsible. And so that's why moral and performance character are so important, social, emotional, and character development go together. We've got to help our kids um, understand the, the way to be 
and then help make sure they've got the skills to be that way. I love how you said that they might know what they're supposed to do, but they don't know how to do it. And I'll just give you an example. I was doing a lesson on trustworthiness or no, it was, it was honesty. And the students, the example I gave the students, these are all high school students with the, They found a $50 bill on the ground. What do they do? Do they go take it to the office and say, I, I found a, dollar, a $50 bill or do they keep it? And they knew what was the right thing to do, but they looked at me and they laughed and they said, miss, come on, I'm gonna put the $50 bill in my pocket and I'm gonna go to the store and buy the thing that I want. So it's exactly right. It, was a, it, it brought us to a discussion in the class of what's the right thing to do and imagine if it was your $50 so then they can have empathy for the poor right. students that lost it. It's, right. These are discussions that should be right. happening. And those conversations, those discussions are really aided by feedback. So in, our, in, in, uh, in the book that my colleagues and I wrote, The Other Side of the Report Card, we, we recognize the fact that teachers are always thinking about their kids' social and emotional competence, but it's packed into their grades. It, and, and so we need to unpack it so that educators can give kids feedback on how well they're doing socially and emotionally. You know, right now, you know, you, you may remember school report cards with these drop-down menus and comes prepared to class and works well in a group. And, and, and you know, we did some research on that that we talk about in the other side of the report card. And, and those, those drop-down menus predict nothing about the kids' academic performance uh, or success in life. They're, they're in essence, a tremendous waste of time. Alternatively, if schools have a conversation about what behaviors do we expect from kids? How do we expect their social and emotional growth to proceed? What does it look like? And put that on the report card. Then kids can get feedback on their emotional development, their social development, and it, it sharpens the observation skills of everyone in the school because we all start to know to look for something. And you know, I'm not talking about guessing the kid's personality, right? You, as a teacher, you can see if a kid has empathy by watching how kids react when their classmates experience emotion. Are they happy when their classmates are happy? Do they wanna go and assist someone who's having a hard time? And younger kids, you know, we can't expect them to do that spontaneously. But if you go to a young kid who's hesitant to go over to a classmate who's upset and you ask, how's Billy feeling? And the kid tells you, Billy looks sad. And would you like to go over to Billy? And the child says, I'm not sure. And the teacher says, well, I will walk over there with you and let's see if we can help Billy feel better. And the child goes, for a young child, that is a tremendous indicator of empathy. We don't expect a young child to spontaneously walk over to a classmate who's really upset and ask the classmate if I can help you. If you're a first or second grader, you're not gonna do that. Well, you might, but that's very rare. But, but it, we can take any SEL skill. How do kids respond when their attempts at solving a problem are thwarted? How do kids deal with very strong feelings when they have them. We can go down a list 
and educators can figure out what do we need to look for and how do we give feedback to kids and parents about how our kids are doing. Absolutely. And in one of the last interviews I, I did, we were talking about the qualities of students that um, the, the anxious and the quiet students that are segregated and off to the side. And I was mentioning back in my high school days when we saw that, we would naturally walk up to that student, whether they were in our peak or not, and include them. It was just what we did. And I just don't know what's taken us from where, you know, 20 years ago when I was in high school, why students now isolate other students and would let that student sit there. And then suddenly now they are at the school shooter and they say, well, there were signs they, we, we saw it, but no one was really paying attention. So, right. you know, just recognizing how we can help others along right. the way to prevent some of these big issues. Right. Right, and, and, and I think this, is, this, I think, also reveals our evolving understanding of social and emotional learning, social emotional character development, that it's not just about skills and programs. And, and this is completely consistent with neuroscience, that what are the conditions under which kids learn the best? Well, these are conditions of support and of safety. Uh, these are the kinds of conditions that you have to create in order for kids to feel that it's not just them against the world, that actually being part of a school and a classroom is better for them, it's better for everybody, that spirit of collaboration, support, caring, being part of a learning community. I mean, we know the neuroscience that tells us that relationships are the core of learning and caring relationships are what propel kids to learn. You know, you must have had teachers who were teaching subject matter that you didn't like very much, but they were such fabulous teachers that you learned from them regardless. Mm -hmm. And there were teachers, I bet, and I had this experience where there were teachers teaching something that I loved, but they had such a poor ability to connect with me that I didn't enjoy the class at all. And, and so as we look, we see that relationships, caring, supportive, challenging relationships, they set the condition for learning. And then when that happens, kids feel safe to go over to their classmates, see how they're doing, because they don't feel like they're gonna lose something by doing that. Wow, yeah. And, and in your opinion, why do you think we've gotten to this place where, is it technology that we're wrapped up and so busy and maybe before, how did we get to this? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's the, the overemphasis on academic success okay. uh, and, and testing and, and the sense of competition. You know, our, our tests are very often, they're on a curve. And when things are on a curve, as opposed to having a mastery system, then you're going to have winners and losers, mm -hmm. even if everybody's all pretty good. And so for a lot of our kids, um, they, they, they get weighed down by a, a, a history of not succeeding. They lose their sense of confidence mm -hmm. and then they sort of have a negative attitude. Well, you can't blame them having a negative attitude, but then other people react to that. And, and so, so it's, it's a bad dynamic that, we, that, we, that we're setting up in our schools right now, as opposed to being a, a welcoming, 
collaborative place for every student, regardless of ability, disability, gender, ethnicity. Um, you know, we, we have to set schools up as that place that truly welcomes everyone. Because, you know, when we open up the doors, we don't say to the kids, well, these, these are the kids who are welcome and these kids were not. But you know what? Kids walking in, they know. Yeah. They know. And, and we, have to, we have to be genuinely welcoming to all kids. Setting up that school climate from uh, even. That you, is right. That is right. You feel it in the parking lot when you're coming in to the school. You feel. It's on, on the school bus on the school bus stop, right. when you go to the office, you know, how, to, how you're treated by the, by the clerical staff in the school. It, how do the security guards treat kids? Do they treat kids like they are guilty and needing to be proven innocent? Or do they treat them like they're fine and this is just a, you know, just a precaution and, and we're not, we don't think you're a criminal. Um, all these things matter tremendously. And, and, and that's why we, we don't want to get hooked into the idea of, of, of social and emotional programs as being the answer. You know, in, um, in, in the book, The Educator's Guide to Emotional Intelligence and Academic Achievement, uh, which is a Corwin book, um, we wanted to make the point that programs are necessary but not sufficient. And, and, you could, and you could understand how to do a program from kindergarten through high school, but if the climate is not supportive, then the kids can learn the skills, but they won't live the skills. Mm -hmm. You gotta live the skills to internalize the skills. And it doesn't happen if, if it only is valued in the 45 minute period a week when you're doing this stuff. So how would you suggest changing a climate of the school with your book? Well, they have to be, you know, it goes back to what you said earlier about having conversations. Mm -hmm. Have to be conversations about how, how do we want our school to be? And this is one of the reasons why there's an emphasis now on talking about what are the virtues that we want to make sure our kids come out with. Mm -hmm. If we want our kids to be caring and we want them to be kind, it's not going to happen because we have lessons on caring and kindness. It's going to happen because we treat them with kindness. We show them caring. We model it for them, and then we teach it to them. And, and that's what's necessary. The, the, there are so many schools, not a majority yet, but many, that have wonderful climates. That when you walk in there, you just say, whoa, what a great place to be. Oh, yeah. I'd love to send my kid here. I'd love to send my grandchild there. Yeah. It's not like we don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, one of the very exciting movements in the field of social-emotional learning are these social-emotional learning alliances that are developing in now 18 states under the umbrella of SEL, the number 4US.org, Social-Emotional Learning Alliance of the United States. And these alliances are dedicated to one thing. Let's share the good practices that we have so someone else doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. 
And it was the same idea that we had in the Educator's Guide to Emotional Intelligence and Academic Achievement. I mean, that book consists completely of practitioners sharing what has been effective. And now you take that and you expand it so that in, in any one of the 18 states that has an alliance like SEL for NJ and SEL for AZ in Arizona, SEL for California and Texas, um, you, have, you can consult with a network and find out what is it that we're trying to do and who's done it successfully in a school like mine? Wow. Oh, how valuable is that? Absolutely. Tremendously so. And the same thing is true with the national uh, and state schools of character, mm -hmm. which is operated by character.org. Uh, a number of states have ways of designating state and national schools of character. And these are schools that are the kinds of things you and I were just talking about, places you want to send your kids. Mm -hmm. How did they do it? Well, it's not a mystery. You can talk to them. They'll tell you how they did it. They'll show you how they did it. They'll help you do it. That's, we can get to that point. We just have to keep, you know, nurturing the spread of this. I love it. So I have a ton of new resources to showcase in the show notes and in the video that I'll put up so people can learn about them. And, and I feel like I've seen them all on Twitter because they all have their own state. I was like, who's this SEL New Jersey, SEL now I know who they are. Now I right. All comes under SCL for US.org. Yep, got it. Now, what about parents who want to raise emotionally intelligent children? Which is all of us. We all want it for our kids, and um, especially kids to be able to think and make their own decisions. And in your book, Emotionally Intelligent Parenting, you take some of the principles from Daniel Goleman's bestseller, Emotional Intelligence. And can you explain how we could apply some of these ideas to be successful with these concepts at home with our kids? Yeah, you know, you know, it, it really is, uh, again, parents being aware of the importance of this and the fact that these are skills that kids can learn. So one of the, one of the most important things to have a conversation with kids about, for example, is in our family, what do we do when we're very upset? Now, you know, it's one thing to say to a kid, well, you come talk to me about it. But parents are not always accessible, not always available. And, and just because a kid comes up to you at a given moment, you may not be ready to talk to them. Mm -hmm. you know, now think about what's happening with so many parents who are working at home. It's not possible for kids to just always come up to them whenever they want and talk to them that they're not they're having some problems with their feelings. So we talk about in our family, how are we going to let each other know how we're feeling? Maybe we're going to have signals. Maybe we're going to have a time, a place that we do this. It's really a teaching moment to, to ask ourselves, how do we want our kids to develop these, these skills? Think about, um, interestingly enough, if you think about routines, routines are one of the most important teaching tools we have for kids. It's like putting guardrails on the highway. You know, guardrails are up there not to 
teach the kids to drive, but to make sure the kids don't go off the cliff. And this is a lot of what parenting is about. We've got to give our kids room to maneuver, to drive. Um, but we also want to make sure that they don't go too far. And so by setting up routines in the house, by setting up curfews, by setting up procedures around screen time, we help put guardrails up for our kids. And then as our kids get older, our kids negotiate with us. Mm -hmm. Our kids say, my curfew needs to be later. I need to have more screen time. I need, to, I need to switch the chores that I'm doing. And we have those conversations and our kids learn to be better problem solvers and better communicators. But meanwhile, we make it clear to our kids that they have responsibilities, right? And responsibility and freedom are really the essence of a democracy. And so we wanna teach our kids to be good citizens in our families, in our schools, in our communities. And it starts by giving them the opportunity to learn some skills and make some mistakes mm -hmm. and grow in the process. You know, um, uh, a, a, a colleague uh, named Wendy Mogul wrote a wonderful book called Blessings of a Skin Me. Okay. And she, she wrote that book because she wanted parents to understand that when kids are little and they make mistakes, it will not prevent them from getting into Harvard or Berkeley, or MIT, or wherever you want them to go. It will not, it will not mean they'll never get a job. But, but if they skin their knee when they're little, they, they get over it, and they learn that they can handle it and live through it. And as we're seeing today in society, our kids need to learn that they can overcome obstacles, that they can be resilient. And the best time to learn that is when they're younger, which means we have to give them opportunities, give them challenges, mm -hmm. and help them be successful. So emotionally intelligent parenting is really um, having the awareness to use the everyday situations around you as teaching opportunities, and then modeling them yourself. You know, you will never get a kid to develop emotion regulation. If you scream at them to keep calm, calm yourself down, you know, it doesn't work. So, so you have to have a sense that, you know, kids listen to what you say, totally. but they, they watch what you do. So that's part of it. There's obviously a lot more, but that, that's the idea. No, that's, that's hard to do, to put into practice, because I'll just tell you, an, an hour ago, I picked up my 10-year-old from gymnastics, and I'm in a car that I don't usually drive, and we got a flat tire, and it went boom. And I'm, I'm like, uh-oh, I've got, you know, this interview in, at 1.30. And I'm all dressed up, all ready to go, and boom. And I thought the first thing was not to say, oh, no, what are we going to do? It was, how do I react so that she knows how I react when I'm under pressure? Right. That was the first thing, because I'm smack dab in the middle of preparing for this. And I thought, I can't let her see me get all freaked out about this. And so we drove as far as we could to our street, and then we just parked and walked home. <laughs> then called my husband; he'll he'll do the rest. But right. it was one of those situations. It's not easy. Your first reaction is to be in the the amygdala freaking out part of oh no. Yep. yep. 
but we have to learn that emotional regulation and that is hard work. It's hard. And so we actually have special section in the book on how to apologize to your kids. Yeah. Because, because we're going to lose our pool. We're going to, we we can't help it. I mean, you know, it's just unavoidable. And, and the two lessons there are number one, when we do something that we wish we didn't do, apology is incredibly powerful and kids appreciate it, even if it's a day later. But number two is humility. If we're adults and it's hard for us to keep our act together, well, what do we expect from our kids? And, and why can't we be more understanding when they don't have their act together all the time? Totally. So yeah, there's, and, and all, of those are, all of those are teaching opportunities. Yeah, it's powerful. This is really important work. Yep. And then I saw the article that you published for Parent Toolkit, and I actually have Parent Toolkit on my phone. It's a great app. And I saw your article on LinkedIn, and it was all about watching sports with your children and how it can boost their SEL and emotional intelligence skills. And I never thought about it this way, and I absolutely love this idea. And I remember one time I was at a baseball game with the family, and I've got two girls, a 10-year-old and 8-year-old, and we were watching Wilson Ramos. Um, he was meditating away from some of the other players before the game. Instead of throwing pitches, he was in his own space. And I talked about it with the girls, but that's as deep as I thought about going. I just thought that was all that I had in my parent toolkit. And then I read your article and you talked about the focus that the athletes have, the athletes preparation, emotion regulation, goal setting. You went right into every single skill. And so I know that we're not going to be watching games live, but can you recap some of these ideas so we can think about how we could have an SEL lesson while watching sports with our kids? Yeah, you know, it, it really is, again, it, it, SEL is all around us it, you know, be, because it's just, it, it, it's a way of describing how we act and how we conduct ourselves. So we want, you know, we want to teach our kids to be closer observers. And one of the things that I think a lot of times our kids don't appreciate is that what they see in sports didn't just happen. You know, they, they in one of our SEL curricula for middle school kids on our website, we have kids watching uh, Stephen Curry's practice routine and LeBron James's practice routine. And when they see those guys practice, they say, my God, I mean, that's why they're so good. You know, they're not good because they put on their sweatsuits and stuff a few things in the warm up right before the game. It's because of all the things the kids don't see. Mm-hmm. And so we have to help our kids think about stuff. So for example, baseball game, right? In between innings, what do the players do? They throw the ball around the infield. The outfielders throw the ball to each other. Now, these are the best baseball players in the world. They're making millions of dollars. Don't they know how to catch? Don't they, do they need to throw the ball in the infield? Did they, did they forget from the last inning how to catch a ground ball? Of course not. Right. But if you want to be great, you have to continuously prepare and practice. And our kids don't understand. 
They just think that you get to the moment and you're great. And they don't know all that goes into it. And that's, and that's part of what we can talk to them about while we're watching sports. How did that happen? How did they learn how to do that? And then all the different opportunities to see how athletes calm themselves down before they have a big moment, you know? How many times did we watch Derek Jeter and a lot of other athletes take his gloves on and off before every event? Now, weren't his gloves on? Didn't his parents teach him how to put on a glove? It's got Velcro. Nope. It's all part of calming yourself down. Mm. And we help our kids look at concert performers. There's almost nobody that just walks up to a piano or walks up to their violin and starts playing. They do something beforehand to center them, to focus them. And, you know, we found in one of our research projects that if you teach kids a self-calming strategy before math tests, and then you prompt them to use that strategy before math tests over the course of a year, tests, quizzes, etc. their grades improve. I believe it. I and, and, right, because they just are more ready to take the tests. It, it doesn't make them smarter per se, but it enables them to perform more at the level of their ability. It just gets them centered, focused, confident, and ready. And, and so this is what we see in sports, right? Because it's a high stakes activity. We want our, we want our athletes to perform well. We go to a concert, we want people to perform well. You know, it is so important to show kids when you can documentaries of how such and such was made. Because otherwise our kids don't really understand that getting to where they want to go requires preparation. And, you know, there's so much of it now, like in, in football, if you watch, when it'll come back eventually, if you watch old games, the quarterback lifts up a thing on his arm before a play. Now, what is that? Is he like some sort of a cyborg? Yeah. No, he's got information there about what we're going to do next. I mean, they have a huddle. Why do they have a huddle? Can't they remember the plays? Well, they have to make adjustments. They have to make changes. All of this is teaching the kids planning skills, problem-solving skills. What, what is an audible in a football thing? Well, an audible is when we had a plan, and I'm looking over there, and they know what we're going to do. So we're going to do something else. Right. It doesn't always work, yeah. but we're going to try something else. So, so all the SEL involved in those things, it's really quite something. So, so, and you know what? It doesn't actually diminish the kids' un, under, uh, enjoyment of the sports. Right. They enjoy it at a deeper level. And they appreciate it even more. That and is. it's natural. You know, it's not didactic. It's look at that, you know, and, and let's understand why that's happened. So that, that, that was the thrust of that, of that article. And again, it's for sports, but it can be for performance art, concerts, you know. You know, one of the things that's happening right now in, in, in the SEL field is a big movement 
for SEL to be integrated with the visual and performing arts. Okay. And the cornerstone of that is kids understanding that art, music, shows, theater, it, they're not being down, you know, from, from Star Trek or Star Wars. That people create these, that people create these. Who are these people? What do we know about them? I mean, if you really want to understand Hamilton, it helps to understand Lin-Manuel Miranda. It didn't come from nowhere. If you really want to understand a painting, if you want to understand a work of music, understand the creator. And then you can see in yourself the potential for creativity. Because right now, because our kids get so mystified about how things came about, they don't often see that they too can be creators as well as consumers. So it's a very exciting, very exciting time in, in the SEL field to see all the connections that are being made. I love it. I, I couldn't have talked talk to somebody more infused into SEL than you. Like this, I was looking for a positive angle for where we are in the world today. And you surely did bring it to light for us here. Thank you so much for this vision. Do you have um, any final thoughts here? Um, just thinking about, I know that I had a question for overcoming challenges, but you just did there. There's always in these difficult times challenges and the other side of a challenge is to see the positive and building resilience. Just some final thoughts for us that you could leave us like on that high positive note so that we can feel refreshed. Well, you know, I mean, the, the only, the, the one thing that we could be certain of is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. that, that the world is gonna keep changing, technology will evolve, things will happen. And we as human beings are actually designed to deal with all that stuff. But we can't deal with it, you know, just by wanting to deal with it. We really do need some competencies. And, you know, we wouldn't expect kids to be able to read if they never learn the alphabet in whatever language they've become readers. So why would we expect kids to be socially successful if we don't give them the social and emotional competencies, the alphabet of life success? And so, you know, our, our thought now is that we need our kids to come back to school, to approach it in a positive way, but we also have to be willing to open up our arms to kids. That, that a hug, an emotional hug, if not a physical hug, an emotional hug comes first. And then all the, all the learning and trust follows from that. And that our relationships with our kids allows us to have schools that are filled with kindness and generosity humility, sharing. That's the essence of social, emotional, and character development. We can do this, and when we do it, we all benefit. I'm optimistic about this. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Maurice, for coming on today and sharing all your research. 
if there's someone that wants to learn more about you, is the best place your secdlab.org? Is that the best place? That, and that really is. We try to put a lot of stuff there, a lot of things that people can look at, people can download. Um, and that, that's the point, you know, to, to hoard it doesn't do anybody any good. Exactly, exactly. And, um, and what do you do in, in that lab? Do you work with schools? Do, can they contact you to work with you? What exactly is your lab? Well, the, the, lab, the lab does a number of different things. Um, most of all, we try to facilitate practical success for schools. And sometimes you do that by working with them directly. Sometimes you do that by developing tools, different curricula. For example, right now we have a project called Students Taking Action Together. Now we developed this because we recognize that our kids are not ready to participate in our democracy because our kids don't feel empowered. They don't feel they have a voice and they're not given the opportunity to do that in the schools. So we mapped onto the social studies curriculum, any social studies curriculum in any school, a set of SEL and character procedures as a way of teaching the kids social studies so that our kids learn that history, and you're gonna see some themes here, history didn't just happen, people made decisions. Why did they make those decisions? What if they had made different decisions? Mm -hmm. Current events just don't happen. People are making decisions right now. And if you think about a lot of the decisions that a lot of adults are making right now, kids, you can do better. Right. So we want our kids to learn how to have the skills of social action. We actually teach the kids in some of our stuff about, about social protest songs. And how did they come to be? And how can our kids write their own social protest songs? So, so what we try to do is look at what the needs are. And I'll tell you, honestly, the last 15 years we've been focused on urban, predominantly uh, schools of children of color, because that's where we felt the need has been greatest. Mm -hmm. And to put more tools in the hands of educators to help our, those kids have as much of a chance for success in life as anybody else. And students taking action together, to us, is a key part of it. Because every kid has social studies. Every kid can learn to be socially active and, and, and feel the responsibility to be socially active. Not just because they want to be, but because they're learning the skills of civil discourse empathic debate, mm -hmm. problem solving, etc. So that's kind of what our lab does. We try to find needs, meet the needs with materials, and also work with schools and a lot of other colleagues, uh, a lot of networking. You know, it, we've all got to do this together. Nobody's going to do it on their own. Definitely. And, and your work with CASEL, you, you're, uh, as a member, what do you do with CASEL? Well, we, uh, I, was, I was involved in the founding of, of, uh, of, of that organization a number of years ago, and we, we continue to collaborate. That organization has grown uh, tremendously. They are a, a source of, of fabulous insights and materials and research. Um, 
And so we have ongoing, you know, ongoing conversations and, and collaborations, both, both Castle, uh, Character.org, Committee for Children, Social Emotional Learning Alliance for the U.S., SEL for US.org. I mean, there are a number of these organizations, and only by collaborating will we be successful. And so that's what we try to do. We try to be a, a source of collaboration. We try to build bridges between organizations wherever possible. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to putting this up and sharing your insights. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun. It's a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.